genuine faith should not be blind faith. In these segments of Why I Believe, we're going to explore genuine evidence for genuine faith. Welcome to Why I Believe. My name is Christian. Once again, I'm delighted to have Brad and Michael here with me in the studio. Welcome both. Thanks, Christian. Hey, great to be here again. Now, the last time we were together, we spent some time beginning to answer the question, if God is good, if he is love, why is there so much suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? And where did we leave off last time? We were talking about the the battle that was going on, the battle for the hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. The being described in the Bible in, in different names, sometimes as Lucifer, sometimes the devil, sometimes Satan, and how he wasn't actually a two-horned beast, but he was actually a beautiful angel in heaven, is what the, describe, the Bible describes to us, who was really close to God, but started to want to be God and take over from him, and yeah, it all began there. Mm. One of the things... Pride. That, yeah, Absolutely. Um, one of the things we discussed was a desire to be free from constraint from God's law of love, uh, from a love yes. where um, the, the ultimate motivating factor for any action is selflessness and a desire to serve others. And here is this amazing angelic being who wants to live for himself, uh, my way or the highway, basically. Uh, we looked at Revelation chapter 12 and we finished with that passage where it says that there was a war in heaven and obviously not a physical war because God is able to obviously vanquish anybody in a physical war, but there was a war of words, a war of ideas, a war of truth and lies. And uh, it says that the devil was expelled from God's presence. Basically, God says, you're free to do as you please. God doesn't destroy him or kill him. God gives him the Mm. freedom to continue to live because that's what love is. We spent some time talking about the concept of love and freedom and how they're so uh, completely intertwined that they can't be separated. Um, so mm. God doesn't exterminate Lucifer and all the angels that choose to follow him. He simply gives them freedom to play out, uh, I guess, their choices and to see where that leads. Then, I guess the obvious question is, that's what happened in heaven. That's what happened between God and Lucifer. How did humanity get dragged into this mess? And why do we have to suffer for the decisions or the choices uh, that some angel made far away a long time ago? We're going to spend some time in the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at the origins of good and evil here on earth. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 27 to verse 31. And I'm wondering, Brad, if you can read that, Michael. I was just going to say this would have to be right back um, very close to the beginning. We're talking Genesis chapter 1, wouldn't it? Right at creation. Um, yeah. The Bible says that God created the world in seven days. And we're going to read a description of how God talks about the, the world, this planet that he's created, and obviously one of many. Would you like to read that there, Brad? 27 to 31? Yes, please. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And God said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. And God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And the evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. So when God made this world and he looked at it, what was his thoughts on his creation? It was pretty happy. Pretty good. He says pretty good. It was all good. And you see that phrase again and again, and it was good. It was very good. It was good. Perfect. And God made a perfect world. 
and he created yeah. these two inhabitants. Can you imagine being born and when you're old enough to be conscious, your parents say, well, you know, uh, the world is yours. <laughs> This Sounds very Lion King. It does, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> uh, but basically, there's these two beings in the perfect world. And you read through Genesis, there, there's, uh, you know, there's this Garden of Eden, which is amazing. It's dazzling. It's beautiful. They're put there, and they're basically told, look after it, be fruitful, multiply, have kids, enjoy, grow, make the most of this perfect paradise. Um, I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. You know, we talk about, um, you know, house plots and property, especially here in Australia. And, you know, you work so hard to finally get your own 300 square meters of land. (laughs) Uh, And they had it all. God gave it to them uh, perfectly. And he says, it's yours. Do with it as you please. There's one of the things that God does. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. And Michael, if you'd like to read verse 16 and 17 there, please. Uh, God gives them this perfect world, but he doesn't stop there. He does something that seems quite odd. Let's read that, and then we'll discuss a little bit more. The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So eat from everything except for this one. So everything's perfect, everything's good. But in the middle of the garden, God plants a tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Interestingly enough, obviously, they didn't know anything about evil. Everything is perfect. Everything is good. All they knew was good, except for this tree. And it's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So it implies that obviously eating from this tree will expose you not just to good, but also to evil. Here's a question. Why did God put that tree there? Why didn't God just let them live in peace and harmony? It's a, it is a funny thought in a sense. I'm curious about things. So if someone says, don't do this, I imagine Adam and Eve probably would have been similar. And I don't think that they would have been ignorant about this. They would have said to God, what's the deal with this thing? Mm. Like, why is it here? Mm. So they're probably yeah, asking... We're not getting this. the whole dialogue, are we? No. Yeah. I imagine they'd be asking the same sort of questions we would. For sure. Yeah. The Bible records just obviously a very small uh, amount of what happened of those interactions. Mm. Um, Really ominous. If you eat, you will die. But why put it there? (laughs) Because otherwise, yeah, they they didn't have a choice. Otherwise, they would have had no alternative but to say, but to follow God's orders. Mm -hmm. And he's basically put them somewhere, said, take care of the garden. But if there's no other option how can they actually be free and to decide what they want to do? Mm, Yeah. I guess part of it ties into our previous um, topic um, from last time where we were looking at the the challenge that Lucifer had put out there of, you know, whose rules are right to follow. Mm. You know, God's laws, he he was maintaining that God's laws couldn't be kept and that they weren't the best interest for the universe. Mm. So it's sort of like God's giving an opportunity for Adam and Eve to, if they do want to, to go and join the other side, there's, there is that opportunity there. It's not excluded. Mm. Remember, Adam and Eve weren't born as babies. God created them complete, mature adults. And one of Satan's issues and complaints was, hey, I don't like God's law. God's law is one track. It's basically do this. There's no other option. And I don't want to do what God says. What if I wanted to do something else? Why don't you give us freedom? And I can imagine mm. God giving Adam and Eve as mature adults absolute freedom. You know, when you go to the restaurant and uh, you say, so what do you have? What's on the menu? And they say, we've got burgers. Uh, Well, what else do you have? Burgers. Anything else? Burgers. That's not real choice, you know, when burgers are the only option. And it's the same with this. God says, no, you do have freedom. He basically creates them with the consciousness 
of freedom. How do you explain freedom to someone who's never seen anything different before? Well, this is how God does it. He says, I'm giving you a choice. You've got this perfect world, the planet. It's all yours. You're the masters of your own destiny. But I'm also teaching you that you don't have to do what I tell you. It's better for you if you do. It's the ideal. You'll thrive. You'll be happy. But you can also choose to disobey my laws. And if you disobey me by doing something you shouldn't, the ultimate result is death. Mm. Um, So it's amazing that God basically puts himself at risk by giving them absolute unrestrained freedom to do as they please. Yep. And I think in a sense, it's not necessarily that God's saying, you know, if if you do this and it's against what I've directed you to do, that I'm going to kill you. That's a really good point. Because yeah. that's something a lot of people mm. seem to view God as, as being this vindictive mm. and vindictive guy and he'll strike you down if you do something against him. Yeah. Very true. It's much more like as a parent, you see your kids, um, they might be tempted to get into drugs and you're like, hey guys, the path that that leads down is a path of death. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want them to experience that. Yeah. It's just a natural consequence of that action. My girls aren't old enough to do drugs quite yet, (laughs) uh, but they're old enough to touch the oven. And when I talk to them, it's not, if you touch the oven, I'll burn you. It's, if you touch the oven, you will get burnt. Yep. Big difference. Yeah. Mm. And that's exactly what God does. And we're going to look at this concept of death and the results of, uh, of sin as being death a little bit more as we go. Let's read what happens next. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's read the first seven verses there. Brad, if you'd like to read those for us. Yep. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you shouldn't eat it or even touch it, because if you do, you'll die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Mm, Sad tragedy of human history. Yeah. How did sin and death come to earth? Well, basically through the choice of Adam and Eve. They chose to disobey. Now, it's interesting. How does the devil behaving or impersonating a serpent, how does he trick them? How does he deceive them? What does he use to appeal to them? A lie. A lie. And what is that lie? Why is that so appealing? Why do they fall for it? Why do they want what he was offering or claiming to give them? Well, I mean, he tried to make it sound enticing and um, exciting, and he directly lied outright and said, no, that's not true. That won't happen, even though he knew full well Mm. it would. And he talks about what he wanted. He said, you will be like God. God. How will you be like God? Basically, you'll be in charge of your own destiny. God is the only one that can claim that because he can do what he wants, when he wants, however he wants. Everybody else has to follow parameters, boundaries, rules, commands, orders. Uh, But no, if you eat from this tree, you too will know and understand the difference between good and evil. You'll have choice. You can do as you please. And it's interesting that we live in a society, in a culture, in a world where that seems to be the driving force. Mm. Mm. Me, myself and I. Satan's biggest lie is always that same thing he keeps coming Mm. back to. And he always says, you know, God is the liar, not me. 
Yep, I'm God. here to give you freedom. <laughs> yep. Yep, but God, God doesn't give you freedom. Hmm. And everybody in society wants freedom. And it's interesting, like, as you say, like, pretty much all advertising appeals to the I, me, my, doesn't it? It's, Absolutely. It's like, I mean, even we've got whole brands um, that appeal to it, like the, the iPhone, the iPad. It's, <laughs> it's all playing on that whole sort of thing, isn't it? Absolutely. So God actually s- thought about it that way, <laughs> but yeah, that works. God says, true freedom yeah. is to follow my laws because they'll make you happy. The devil says, true freedom is to disobey God's laws because then you can do whatever you want. What happens when we disobey and why? We're going to talk about that right after the break. I was an orphan lost at the fall Running away when I'd hear you call But Father, you worked your will I had no righteousness of my own I had no right to draw near your throne But Father, you loved me In love before you laid the world's foundation You predestined to adopt me as your own You have raised me so high above my station I'm a child of God by grace and grace left your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost. But Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers down to the bone, but nothing I did could ever atone. But Jesus, you paid my debt. By your blood I have redemption and salvation Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown And you rose that I might be a new creation I am born again by grace and grace alone I was in darkness all of my life I never knew the day from the night But Spirit, you made me see And I swore I knew the way on my own A head full of rocks, a heart made of stone But Spirit, you moved in me And at your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened
Welcome back to Why I Believe. I'm here with Brad and Michael, and we're talking about pain and suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people when we have such a loving God? Now, we were talking about Adam and Eve. We're talking about how they made a choice to disobey God, and according to the Bible, the result of that was death. Now, there's obviously a lot of questions that come from that. The first question is, why death? Why is the result of simply eating from the wrong tree death? It seems a little bit harsh. You know, if my children chose to eat cookies from the cookie jar when they weren't supposed to, I can think of a lot of ways to teach them, to discipline them. But I'm not sure that death would probably come to mind as a first option. Not the death penalty, eh? <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Not for taking cookies from the cookie jar. So what's going on here? Why, why death? Why such a drastic measure for such a seemingly small infracture? Well, look, I mean, it's, I think it's a behavioral thing as much as, again, I don't think this is necessarily God turning around saying, I'm cursing you with death. But it's more to do with the fact that when we start acting selfishly, mm-hmm. like even your example of talking about cookies then, if you eat too many cookies, what's going to happen? Mm. You get fat, you yep. get unhealthy, you have a heart attack, you get diabetes, whatever mm. it is. And in the same sort of thing here, once you start sinning, it starts doing bad things to your body. Mm. And so death, again, is just a natural consequence Mm -hmm. of that. Because they didn't die straight away, did they? No. But I guess part of it too is that God is the source of all life. And so doing anything that disconnects us from that source of life will ultimately lead to losing that life. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, this like making choices that disconnect Mm. um, does have that inevitable consequence. Mm. Absolutely. Yet God says that he'll give freedom even if we choose to to disobey him. Two things happen. One, they didn't die straight away. So obviously the death that God is talking about is quite different to the God that they might have imagined. And I guess that might have helped convince Adam as well, because it seems to suggest that Eve ate first and she didn't die straight away. So all the more reason for Adam to say, well, if she didn't die straight away, why yeah, not, I'm not dead yet. try? That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, and I, I really appreciated what you said, Brad, about um, selfishness leading to death. You think about all the selfish friends you have. How fun is it to hang around with somebody that's selfish? Not much fun at all. Not at all. So when people behave selfishly, and that's what sin is, that's what they chose to do. They chose to say, our way of doing things are better. I'm more important. I want to be like God rather than listening to God's law of love. Hmm. When someone becomes selfish, they start to hurt other people around them, don't they? Yeah. By their very behavior. Eventually, when they've hurt everybody around them, who's left to hurt? No one. It's just themselves. Just themselves. And that's the ultimate distraction. You imagine a world full, absolutely full of selfish people. We're not there yet. God is still at work and we still have a lot of people who choose to live by the principles of love. But how long do you think a society where everybody is purely and absolutely selfish, how long would that last? Self-destructs pretty quick, doesn't it? It it does. And and we do Mm. see that. And we've seen cultures throughout history Mm. that have imploded, completely self-destroyed. And that's, that was what was happening towards the end of the Roman Empire. Absolutely right. History is full of examples like this. And imagine, let's yeah. say, you were the strongest person on earth that was able to defeat everybody else, and there's just you left. You've won the battle, right? <laughs> You've exterminated all your enemies. How happy do you think you'll be in for how long? Well, you haven't got much company around for starters. But well, then, no one to show off to. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sentenced yourself to solitary confinement. And I think after a while, you'd either go crazy or jump off a bridge to end it all. That's why in Romans 6.23, it says the wages or the consequence, the result of sin or selfishness is death. This is where it leads. That's what happens when humans choose to be selfish. Now, 
another interesting thing is, first of all, the wages of sin is death. The results of selfishness is ultimately death and destruction. But God does something else. God says, instead of letting you live forever, as you read there in Genesis, he expels them from the Garden of Eden. They can't eat from the tree of life. They can't keep living. God says your days are going to be numbered. And this is something that God does do directly. While he doesn't kill them, he doesn't let them live forever. Why do you think God doesn't let humans who are selfish live forever? Why has he given us a finite lifespan? It puts a limit to what a selfish being can do mm. in the context of their destructiveness on others. Not that everyone chooses that path, mm. but it, it does put a limit on it. It almost seems to ensure the survival of humanity, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, you get someone like a Hitler or whatever, someone like that, even someone of, who might bring in a reign of terror, they're not mm. going to exist forever. Absolutely. You can look at the story of the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. and God literally says about these guys... If they put their mind to this, there's mm. nothing that they can't accomplish. Yeah, These were sinful humans. And mm-hmm. again, and the story of the Tower of the Babel is saying, okay, we want to be like God, so we're going to build a tower the whole way up to heaven, basically. Mm. We want to ascend and be like God. And God's just saying, well, I'm sorry, but the consequences of sin is that can't really happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to let you get so far that you destroy yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you imagine, as you said, Hitler or someone with nuclear weapons. You know, God basically this is the limit to how much you can destroy each other. And I think it's also an act of mercy. Can mm. you imagine living for 6,000 years uh, in pain, in sorrow, in suffering, watching people hurt themselves? God basically says, I- I'm going to give you rest from the pain yeah. that has come upon humanity. That's why when... Uh, you don't... Even someone who's living the most miserable life, it, it won't go on forever. That's right. That's mm. right. So I think really the concept of allowing us to die rather than live on forever uh, is, is an act of mercy that God has given humanity. The other question that is worth exploring is why do we have to suffer for the consequences of our great, 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 great grandparents? <laughs> it's a serious question. You need to, need to look at that because, I mean, you know, we weren't the ones who ate the forbidden tree. Mm. That, that's right. I, I wasn't there. Uh, if yeah. I was there, I wouldn't have done that. I would have just in quotes, blame me. Yeah, mm. yeah. I would have taken an axe and just cut the tree down and uh, <laughs> no more temptation. Maybe. Yep. Maybe. Um, but why do we have to suffer for the consequences of Adam and Eve? Let's go to Romans chapter 5 and we'll start exploring this, Michael. Yeah, great. Yeah, sure. So Romans chapter 5 verse 12 is a really good verse that answers that question. In Romans 5 verse 12 it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. It's Sorry, that, mustn't, that wasn't the verse I was thinking. That, that explains exactly what we're talking about, though, but it doesn't. <laughs> it tells us what happened. The answer to yeah, it. yeah. What was the verse you were thinking about? There was a verse that talks about how that through one man, Christ, um, life has been offered. Yeah, that's just a little bit later, and we'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> what it says here, though, is that sin and selfishness impacts other people. Is it fair? No. No. It's not fair. If I choose to run a red light and I crash into somebody else and injure them severely or possibly even kill them, is it fair? No. It's not fair for them, is it? Not at all. There's no fairness in that. Now, what are the options to make sure that that unfairness doesn't happen? You obey the rules. Well, I could obey the rules. That's a good start, right? Or we could take everybody off the road and not allow anybody to drive. We could lock people up in their homes and we keep society safe. Would that be a good option? Probably not. No. So the minute you have freedom, you have the opportunity or the potential for what? For making things miserable for others. and Yeah, for injustice. Love. That's right, for hurting others. The moment you have love and freedom, you have the opportunity to hurt other people. And yeah. 
a lot of the time this freedom of choice is not restricted to us you know if someone else makes a choice to do something stupid and that affects us mm-hmm. that's still free choice absolutely um and it's an unfortunate consequence of that i guess it's like in america they have really strong free speech laws and the consequence of that is that people say stupid things mm-hmm. But freedom of speech still needs to be protected for everyone, even though some people are going to take advantage of it and do rude, hurtful things with it. So it's interesting. That's a really good point. Our society, which blames God for allowing pain and suffering, (laughs) wrestles with the same kind of choices. And we allow people to do dumb things because we think it's better to give people freedom, laws and freedom, and then obviously discipline and punishment for breaking them, then taking freedom completely away. Mm. So while we can blame God and say, why did he do that? It's interesting that we're doing exactly the same thing. (laughs) And as a secular society, we actually think that's the best way to do it. That's amazing, isn't it? But why did we inherit it? Well, it's not fair. We inherited because sin and selfishness is not fair and it gets passed down and it impacts other people. There's no easy answer to that. Uh, If my wife, for example, when we had children, chose to smoke while she was pregnant, is it fair that the child gets affected by the fumes and the toxicity of cigarettes? It's not fair. If she chose to drink, it's not fair, but it has an impact. And God is showing us that love and freedom and having the privilege of having love and freedom um, needs to be taken seriously because it can hurt others and it can hurt ourselves. Now we're going to go to that verse that you were talking about, Michael. That's just a little bit further down in chapter 5, and it's verse 17. Brad, would you like to read that? Sure. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. (coughs) But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Tell us about that verse, Michael. Well, I mean, it's like even though it wasn't fair, that's through Adam sin came, even though we could say it's not fair, that it's God is bringing just as big a change through Mm. Christ. And through that one life that was lived and that one sacrifice that was made, he's bringing salvation, he's bringing the solution to the whole problem. And that's pretty awesome. He's he's out there trying to help us. Absolutely. So it's not fair that we've inherited this, but what God does is he does something even more unfair. Mm. Now, sure, we've inherited sin, right? We've inherited selfishness. We've inherited death. That's the reality. At the same time, we also make bad choices. We intentionally choose to do the wrong thing at times, don't we? We do. So some things are not fair, but some things are fair because we also do silly things. We also do dumb stuff. We're sin, we're selfish. So we deserve some things. But what God does is he comes to earth, he lives here, he dies for us to take the consequences of our sin, of our selfishness. And he says, what I'm doing is even more unfair. Totally not fair for him. For him, absolutely. Your injustice and your unfairness is being solved by incredible injustice and unfairness directed against God. And what I'm offering you is the opportunity to reclaim that eternity I created you for. So, yes, it's not fair, but it's not fair that Jesus died for me. It's not fair that he had to give up his life, that he had to go through what he did so I can have life. Hmm. It shows tremendous love. It's like the ultimate As parents, we get a little bit of a glimpse of that. Our kids sometimes make stupid decisions that um, actually have consequences for us as parents. Mm. And and yet we love them and we try and help them through it. And this is like the ultimate thing of that. If you look at humanity as God's kids, we are God's kids. Even though our stupid decisions has led to stuff that's totally not fair for him, 
um, he did it for us and because mm. he loves us as that ultimate parent, that ultimate heavenly father. Mm. Yeah, you think about court stories where there's been someone's murdered someone's son or daughter and the parent of the, the person who's been murdered goes to the murderer and says, you know what, I forgive you. Mm. And we, we look at that and go, oh man, how amazingly powerful is that story of that is grace and that mm. is forgiveness and that is exactly what God has done for us. But a million fold because to him, all of us mm. are his children. Absolutely. You know, in Jesus, we see God maintaining justice because, you know, when you break the law, if there's no consequence, if there's no punishment, then the law has no value and everybody's going to break the law. There are no consequences for speeding, for driving a red light. Who's going to obey the laws? So on Calvary, what we see is somebody did die. Somebody paid the ultimate price for each and every sin, and that was God himself. And at the same time, God extends incredible mercy and grace. He's saying, I'm dying for you. So we maintain both law and order, but we also see extreme mercy and grace. And we're going to talk about mercy and grace a lot more when we talk about what Jesus did. But ultimately, the solution to pain and suffering is in Jesus having an experience with him and allowing him to be a part of our lives. And the good thing is this world won't just continue on and on with this sin being here. God does have an even bigger plan as well. We can maybe explore that too sometime. We definitely will. We're going to talk about what happens, how is sin and selfishness going to end and what's after the end of sin and selfishness. I want to finish with one last verse. It's in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Now, we read the beginning of that. It says that the wages of sin or the consequence or result of sin is death. But then it tells us that the gift of God is life through Jesus. So, yes, we do go through pain and suffering. We experience things that uh, we wish we didn't. But God says, hold on turn to me, trust me, there is a solution, there is an end in sight, and the end will be worth it and far better than any of the pain that you've gone through. Makes you want to know about who this Jesus guy is. And we're going to look at that in our next session. Thank you, Brad and Michael, and really glad to have each and every one of you listening in with us as well. If you've enjoyed Why I Believe, visit us at faithfm.com.au and contact us with any questions, thoughts, comments, opinions you may have. We'd love to be able to share those on air. Thank you for staying with us and we'll see you next time.